Welcome to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. Join host Liz Myers and her guests as they explore resiliency through the lens of personal stories. Tune in weekly for inspiration and doable life hacks to overcome adversity and thrive in life. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. Welcome back to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Myers, and today I have with me nine-time author, Barbie Engel. She is also the president of the International Pain Foundation, and she has a lot to share with us about overcoming multiple physical difficulties, living with chronic pain, and how to persevere and thrive in spite of that. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I'm so glad to be here with you and your listeners, your viewers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm glad that you're here to join us. And and like I mentioned earlier, I'm personally very interested in what you have to share too, because I've been dealing with some mysterious chronic pain myself. So can you just share with us some of your story and your background about the journey that you were on? Absolutely. So I developed chronic pain first with endometriosis and uh, back in 1996. So it's been quite a while, 22 years, and I got through that and I ended up having to have a hysterectomy. I was unable to have children, but I conquered it and I got through it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then a few years later, I was in a very minor car accident and those eight seconds changed my life because mm-hmm. it activated a rare disease that I had that was lying dormant mm-hmm. and it started attacking my body, but I had no idea what was going on, what to do or had to get through it. And it was pretty much the biggest challenge of my life. And it knocked me down for a few years. It took about three years to get a proper diagnosis, another four years to get the proper treatment that gets got me into remission. And, and I still use that same treatment today. It's an IV therapy that helps mm-hmm. me stay walking. I was in a wheelchair for seven years trying to figure out oh. what was going on and, and what I could do uh, and, and out of that grew a lot of life hacks out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And um, also the, the resilience that you often talk about. I had to use the skills I learned from cheerleading of, you know, your team is mm-hmm. losing 50 to zero. And what do you do? That's the yeah. position I was in. And I mm-hmm. knew that that wasn't the life that I wanted. And I had to do something about it. So I found mm-hmm. ways to do that. Yeah, I can imagine how that would be very discouraging to go for that long with no answers. And I I know from personal experience, chronic pain is just exhausting to just, it's that constant feedback loop with your brain and body saying something's wrong. There's nothing I can do about it. Something's wrong. We can't fix it. You know, it's just very tiring. And you were saying you're undiagnosed. That's known as idiopathic neuropathy Mm -hmm. or idiopathic pain. And um, I I like to joke and say that means that the doctor is an idiot because they can't figure (laughs) it out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, I always feel like I'm the idiot when they say that. But yes, I have no, been described no. that way. So <laughs> they just they haven't learned about it in school. For me, yeah. it was the 43rd doctor. Talk about resilience. Oh, wow. The 43rd doctor was the one that diagnosed me. All of the doctors, 42 doctors or healthcare professionals that mm. I saw before that some are nurse practitioners and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But they all missed it. And that mm. doctor finally looked at all of the records from those three years and said, I think I know what's going on. I'd like to test you for reflex sympathetic dystrophy. And it turns out that that is what I have. Wow. Um, RSD for short. And that was all set into motion by a car accident, huh? Yes. I was going to have it at some point in my life Mm -hmm. anyways. It just, that's the trauma that triggered it to attack my body. Mm. 
Very interesting. And I, those things are hard to track down. You know, it's multiple factors like that, like something lurking and then there was a provoking factor and yep. it, it's a mystery. It is. It is. <laughs> so I know part of what you do now is advocate for other patients and, and people who are dealing with, with health issues. Explain to us and, and, and educate us a little bit on why people need an advocate and what you do to help them. Oh my goodness. You need an advocate because a lot of times when you are going into a provider's office, what you're saying is subjective. They don't understand it, or you're not speaking that same language that the provider is speaking. For instance, when I would first start going to medical appointments, trying to figure out what was wrong with me, they would, I would just go and cry. So I was emotional and I would just say, help me, fix me. I'm in pain, fix it. Mm -hmm. And I learned that the more adjectives that I could give the provider, the better they were able to understand and help the situation and give me options that were usable for what I needed. And it's so individualized. Even Mm -hmm. two people with the same condition are going to need different things. Mm -hmm. So to be able to go in and say burning, fire, shooting, stabbing, cutting, searing, electrical, to be able to use those adjectives when you're describing Mm -hmm. the type of pain you're in. And I would say I heard all over, but I should have been saying things like my arm and shoulder and face hurt worse. I I heard all over, but these places hurt worse. This is where I experienced the burning pain, but I have electrical pains in these other parts and being able to break it down and explain it and learn the language Mm -hmm. that they're speaking saved me a lot of time in the long run. But a lot of times providers don't have the time to teach us these things. That's that's why you need an advocate because they can come in. And, and that's one of the things that before COVID I, I did a lot of was going to provider appointments with patients where I could be the person that bridges the gap in language mm-hmm. between the patient that can't figure it out and, and the provider. It's uh, like an interpreter. <laughs> it is. And, and I use one myself. When I can, I bring somebody with me to my appointments because it's somebody to sit there and say, yes, I saw her fall. It wasn't that she tripped and fell. It was that her, her foot flopped and, and she rolled mm-hmm. it or you know yeah. whatever they see that's happening. So there, there is that objective voice versus my subjective voice as to this is mm-hmm. what I'm going through. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I feel frustrated that I actually have the opposite problem. I want to, desc- I'm a writer, you know, I want to describe things with lots of adjectives, but they yeah. want to give me the, the pain scale from one to 10, which it can be very useful, oh. in time, but I'm like, I can't. <laughs> narrow it down to a number. It depends on what time of day. And I'm like, there's different types of pain and some, you know, it may only be a one on your pain scale, but it never goes away. And I really need to fix it, even though it's only a one. (laughs) Exactly. And that's, that's the thing that I don't, I don't like the linear pain scale that we use either. I like more of a circle that has multiple circles that you click and turn until it gets to to what you are. But uh, when somebody asks me, what's your pain? I will say, are you talking about the, the physical pain, the RSD pain, the valley fever pain, the microlepsy? Which part of the pain do you want to hear about at this moment? Because right. there's a lot of different things going on. And um, it doesn't always equate to the numbers, although providers are taught that each number has a definition. So mm-hmm. they just want you, for insurance purposes mostly, for them to get reimbursed, to mm-hmm. give them a number. Um, but you need to be talking about your activities, daily living, what you're able to do, what you're not able to do, what your goals are. Are they realistic? You need to be having those types of conversations. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times you're spending that time doing the paperwork and talking to the, to the nurse or the, uh, intake coordinator, um, to bring into the practice instead of getting down to it. One of the things as a, as a life hack that I do 
is I created a one pager and it's available on, on the International Pain Foundation website, but that one pager breaks down my appointment for me. So it lists all the medications that I'm on. It also lists all prior surgeries. So when I'm filling out the paperwork, I can write see attached and yeah. I leave that, that one pager with them. So they have it on top. Um, but I also have my questions that I've thought about over the month in between appointments or two mm-hmm. months in between appointments. I write those down as I'm going and as they're happening in life as I'm living life because you know when we get into the doctor's office it's like a vortex and all those things that have been happening for since the last time we saw that provider like fly out the window Mm -hmm. or out the brain and so I have it all on my one pager so I can go boom 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 down my list and get the most out of my appointment that's really smart I'm just sitting here bonking myself going why didn't I think of that before that's brilliant and so simple. I it's interesting. I actually earlier in the podcast and on an earlier episode interviewed the woman who came up with the pain scale. And it was originally designed for children because they found that children were not getting the pain relief that they needed because they weren't able to communicate that they were in pain. And uh, so I think it's very, very beneficial for that or for like, you know, a, a disconnected languages spoken kind of situation, maybe. Uh, but for those of us that do have a lot of adjectives. I want to use more than a number. Yes, we we need the adjectives, and that's when you're when you're just giving a number, you're not going to get the total package of care that you could be receiving mm-hmm. to help the situation that you're in. So, using the adjectives, taking it a step beyond the initial screening, is where you need to get to as quick as you can. Mm-hmm. So, I'd like you to talk to people who are are dealing with a complicated health issue. And I, there's so many different ways to come at it. And I know for me personally, I spent a year going to every specialist they could think of. And each specialist would look at me through their tiny little peephole. And if you, they are very, very, very good at what they do in that little, that little section of the human body. But if, if your problem doesn't fit into that little section, then they're at a loss. And, but so how do you get a more holistic picture of what's going on when, you know, there's multiple, you know, there's a neurology thing, there's a muscle thing, there's all these different things, a skin thing, but going to those individual, you know, the dermatologist and the physical therapist and the neurologist, those aren't going to help you. How do you go about getting a more holistic view of your healthcare? First, I would get a practitioner that is um, integrated with the whole body, a whole body wellness provider. It doesn't have to be a doctor. It might be a nurse practitioner. A lot of times they'll put extra care in because it's an area of interest and they didn't spend all that time in school learning about all these other things so they could learn Mm -hmm. more about the whole body and treating you. But I would also have a team of providers. Don't just stick with one provider. I actually have providers that talk to each other. And if I need to bring a new specialist in that specializes in one specific area, they talk to my other providers and um, my providers actually will have conversations about who they have in common. You know, I see Susie, I see Barbie and let's Mm -hmm. have a day where we can discuss these patients Mm -hmm. and maybe come up with a brainstorm of another way to help them. Mm -hmm. And um, so they look at our cases a little bit differently as a team approach where they're each talking about their individual specialty, but looking at us as a whole person. And that has really changed my care. And I also only have one provider who does my medication. Mm -hmm. And that way I had a lot of adverse drug reactions, medication reactions, and different doctors were trying different 
prescriptions on mm-hmm. things or not even necessarily prescriptions, but different treatment modalities with mm-hmm. surgery or at home care. And some things were contradictory with other things that other providers were doing. Mm-hmm. And we had to bring it all I, I brought it all into one provider. So my team discusses me, but my main primary care doctor and I do what whatever I'm going to do, whatever's mm-hmm. final, and this is what I'm going to have as a goal and, and um, care mm-hmm. plan. That's all coming from my primary care doctor. But for some, it might be their pain management integrated provider. It mm-hmm. might be your lung specialist if you have a specific lung condition. It could be anybody... Mm-hmm on your team, but as long as you keep that same one person as the team lead that Mm -hmm. co-leads with you as the patient number one voice. Yeah, I really like that model. I experienced that with one of my daughters was born with a cleft palate. And so they had, you know, it was once a year you would go to the hospital and you just hop around from specialist to specialist. You know, they had the the speech therapist there, the nutritionist there, the ear, nose and throat doctor, you know, all of them, the people who would do the surgery to repair the mouth. And they would each check her individually, and then they'd all get together at the end of the day and talk about each one of the clients, you know, as, as a team approach. And then they'd give you recommendations that go back to the pediatrician and stuff. And that was great, but it was it's just for that one particular condition. You know, I have no idea how to build a team like that on my own without it's, having that set up in place already. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, um, it took me a few years to get it into place. And now I have my main core team. And then as other issues and challenges have, has, have come about, I had to bring in other specialists. And I say, hey, look, if you want to be my specialist in this area, you need to work with my team, my core. Mm-hmm. And um, I just make that something from the start that they have to agree to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great plan, a way to, to look at that. So you've you've addressed like some medical and physical approaches. What about like as far as mental health or emotionally? I this has got to be really draining thing to go through for that many years and not knowing if you're gonna ever be able to get out of that wheelchair or not knowing what's going on with your body. What kind of mindset or mental health techniques did you come up with to cope with this sort of thing? One of my favorites, and it helped me the most of all the ones that I've done, was a project called I Am. So I was working with a counselor, a mental health counselor, and I, I was like, I am nothing. I, I suck. I lost everything. I can't do my dream job anymore. I, I don't even know how I'm going to get food next month. And, and he said, okay, this is your homework. And all of you can do this. It's so beneficial. Start a list. I am and start listing all of the positive things that you are. The first time I tried it, I didn't get so far. And after a few days, the the, uh, psychologist called me and said, how are you doing with your list? I want you to make sure you have some things written down that are positive about yourself before you come back for your next visit. And I said, "I, I suck, I have nothing on my list. And he said, well, then let's help you get started. And he, he said, you're spiritual. So write down, I am spiritual. You are bubbly. I am bubbly. I am a cheerleader. And I was like, but I'm not a cheerleader. I can't physically do the things that I did. And he's like, yeah, but you can cheer other people on. So you can still have those aspects of being a cheerleader. And he started helped me starting to see the positives in my life and the I am's in my life. And I finally went in and I had a list of 75 I am's. 
after, after that week. And now 22 years later, my list is over 150 of I am's of all the things that I am. And when I'm having a bad day, I refer back to my list and go through it and remind myself of all of the things that I still am, despite what I lost. Mm. I love that. It's, It's exactly like you said, focusing on what you have and not what you've lost. And I can see kind of the double edged thing of, you know, being this active cheerleader and coach prior to that of, and on one hand, you've lost a lot of physical ability, you know, where you were athletic and you were active and then you got to a place where that was no longer possible. That's very defeating feeling. But then also on the flip side, you know, like you said, you were a cheerleader and you had that ability to motivate others. Now you had to use it on yourself. Right. Yeah. And I had to recognize that. So yeah. just going through the process of recognizing that you know, I, since I was four, I, I would tell my parents, I'd tell everybody I'm going to be a cheerleader the rest of my life. And, you know, then I all of a sudden physically didn't have the ability anymore to be a cheerleader. And I thought, well, it's over. And, Mm -hmm. and going through the, I am process helped me see that I am still a cheerleader. I still Mm -hmm. am able to motivate and I have some of the skills from cheerleading, like responsibility and time management and organization that I had to learn as a, as an athlete and as a cheerleader that I could still bring with me into making my healthcare, my new team, mm. making my life, my yeah. team that I was cheering for and had to learn how to cheer lead in a whole more advanced, a whole new way, a whole new yeah. way. Instead of being a physical cheerleader, now I'm a mental cheerleader. Yeah. And I think that kind of thing can apply to a lot of like even a mom who's now an empty nester and goes, well, what am I now if I'm not so-and-so's mom or, you know, somebody has a major career change or, you know, that can apply to a lot of things. What are some ways that you cheer yourself on? The the I am thing is great. What are some other things that you would maybe tell to yourself or repeat to yourself on a bad day to keep you going? Well, just getting organized, staying organized, taking the time. I know if you're not organized, that's a big leap. And when you don't feel well, it's really hard to say I'm going to be organized, but I color code my calendar. I color code my closet. Um, I I color code my life pretty much so that I can live the best life. And when I need something, it's right there next to me. I organized my medications into a a medication uh, tray by the date. Those, Those types of things that happen around your house. I got my house organized. I got my medical bills organized to the point where I can help when I have to get a prior authorization or my insurance is requiring step therapy, where they say you have to try these medications before we'll let you have the one that your doctor prescribed. I've been through those already and I have my own records that are organized. So I can go back and pull my own records and do my own appeal, which takes, it saves the doctor time, but it also saves Mm -hmm. me time because I get the medication I need. Right. And get the treatment I need uh, in a timely manner. So I'm not waiting a week to, to sometimes six months like some patients do. I just changed so much about my life. I, you know, I like to have a pretty yard, but we put in uh, artificial turf so that we don't have to spend time going out and mowing. Both cost <laughs> yeah. money and time, but, or one costs more time than money. One mm-hmm. costs more money than time. But overall, it's been a lifesaver. Yeah. So yeah looking around my life and saying, what can I change to give me more life? We, we just recently bought three sheep to mow our, uh, our yard. That's why I'm laughing. If I was allowed, we, we have HOA, so I can't yeah. have a sheep. 
Um, we had to get a dog approved if we wanted to have oh. a dog. So that's <laughs> I don't have that choice. So we went with the artificial turf and made yeah. the yard very easy. Yeah. That's, that's great. So as part of your advocacy with other patients, do you give them these tips on how to man, just managing a major healthcare situation is just, that is a strain organizationally trying to keep track of appointments and keep track of notes and, and calling people and, uh, you know, fixing things that get messed up. Absolutely. And one of the things that came out of COVID for getting organized is telemedicine or telehealth. That's actually been great. It has been fabulous. And um, I actually have been using telehealth since 2015. So I was ahead of the curve on that, but it was a life hack. And um, I have my, my main provider. I have his cell phone number and email and, and I can text him, email him, email him, send him pictures, do video chats anytime I want. And if there's an emergency, he actually uses my one pager to call my latest one pager for my Mm -hmm. last appointment to call ahead to the hospital to say, patient Barbie Engel is coming in. Here's the important things that you need to know about what's going mm-hmm. on in her life right now. So my life hacks have helped him. Yeah. Uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just tried to, to use those skills that have come out of necessity mm-hmm. in organizing my life to live more life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like how you're emphasizing you're, you're making your life easier by making somebody else's job easier. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. you're helping them out and it, but it also helps you out and right. uh, just kind of smooths it all. Exactly. What I'm doing might not be a perfect fit for your, your viewers. Mm-hmm. However, think of, let me be the spark so that you can come up with ideas in your life of what would work for you. For instance, mm-hmm. I, I um, used to, carry, like use paper, uh, real plates and glasses. And I switched our house over to paper plates in uh, plastic glass that is lighter because I was dropping my plates a lot. I didn't have mm-hmm. the strength to get, you know, the food and mm-hmm. onto my lap in my wheelchair into the next room and, and all of those things. So I reorganized and went to paper. So when I dropped it, it wouldn't be cleaning up glass mm. from the breakage, mm-hmm. you know, for someone else, it might be better to have a harder plate so that the solid surface helps you maintain the stability. Mm-hmm. I needed something lighter, yeah. but it really look and evaluate your life. And, you know, I've had many discussions with patients and, and still to this day do this where patients will say, I need some ideas of how to get my life organized. And we go through a, a little talk to find out and figure out what would be best for them? Because it's not going to be the same mm-hmm. things that are right for me. Yeah. When building a resilient life, the first step Liz coaches people to take is to spend time daily with God. When you seek God consistently, he will show you the best next step for your journey. If you'd like a peek at how Elizabeth connects with God regularly, download her free prayer guide and journal at elizabethmyers.me forward slash prayer guide. You can now have the same journal Elizabeth uses every day and make it your own. Yeah, I, I love how you're just challenging us to think creatively, think outside the box. And, you know, if something's not working for you. How can you change it? How can you go around that? Because I, you know, I do. I get frustrated over silly things like I can't get the toothpaste out of the tube because I can't squeeze my hand right? <laughs> properly, you know, and I'm sure there's something there more perfective I could do than just fuss about there's, that but <laughs> there's a little gadget and you just slide it on the end of your toothpaste and uh-huh. you can twist it and it's pretty easy to twist and it just pushes the toothpaste up for you it's very easy to use and i actually have one because i also have problems with my hands yeah so <laughs> with all right hand. i got it so yeah. it's 
the the name of the show is resilient life hacks. So this yeah. is this is great. This is kind of a subset of you know resilient health issue life hacks. So yes. <laughs> I like it. I like awesome. it. That's great. So what are I'm wondering if there's crossover, you know, like some lessons that you learned as a cheerleader and as a coach that then you know you carried forward into this this new style of cheerleading, uh, you know, where you have to cheer yourself along. Well, one of the biggest ones is being social and how to be social. Mm-hmm. You know, social media can really be negative and bring you down. And I'm able to block out the, the negative and focus on the positive. So if somebody doesn't like what I do or doesn't like my hack or whatever it is that, that I'm talking about, I'm okay with that. I'm not, there's 7 billion people on earth. I don't have to make everybody happy. Mm. That's not my plan, my purpose, or my goal. My goal is to live the best life I can live and offer that information to other people so that they can pick and choose what they like and don't like and and incorporate it into their life. Mm -hmm. So really how to navigate social media is something, although when I was cheering long ago (laughs) and and coaching, I didn't, we didn't have social media, Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've taken those social skills of working as a team into getting the best healthcare I can use, I can have, or using social media in a positive way. So I'm not making anybody else's life negative and I'm not allowing them to make my life negative. Mm. Yeah, I love that. You know, I never really thought of that, but it's not like cheerleaders never like calling out the ref saying, that was a bad call. You know, (laughs) they're not focused on the negative or who dropped the ball or missed the shot or did the whatever, you know, exactly. Life, life is my game now. And the game's not over until, until it's over. So until you Mm -hmm. pass away, there's still a chance. Tomorrow will be a better day. If if this is a bad moment, remember that it's just a moment. Mm. And um, so I got that from cheerleading, but the, the social aspects and how to work as a team, there's so many different positions on a team. Mm -hmm. You have to remember that you're in one position, but it takes all the different positions to let your position work properly. Right. So using social media in that way and and just the people in your life, your family, your friends. I didn't I when I first was sick with RSD, I wasn't able to set the expectation with my family and friends. So I lost a lot of friends and a lot of my family didn't understand at first. I was not able to have kids, but I have seven nephews and a niece. My first four nephews were born and I wasn't able to set the expectation and explain my condition and teach them from a young age. So we don't really have that great of a relationship. Not that it's bad. We know Mm -hmm. each other exists. We just aren't close. Yeah. With the younger four, we're very super close. And I actually wrote a children's book with one of them. And um, on how to interact with Aunt Barbie so that the others could learn. And then I Mm. published it so that other people could work with their families to teach them about how to interact, how to set the expectations so that you can have those meaningful life interactions, Mm -hmm. family members, friends, and uh, get the most out of out of those social situations as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's another good point. I hadn't thought of before. What tips can you give us for encouraging others? We've talked a lot about like motivating ourselves, but even when we're struggling, it's still important to be a light and and cheer other people on. How do you do that just in general, but also more particularly, even when you're not feeling so great yourself, how do you cheer others on in the race they're running? Because everybody's got it hard. Absolutely. Everybody has a challenge that they're trying to overcome. So 
One of the things that I do is on social media, I have a large network and I try to reach out. I do follow Fridays where I just give a shout out and just say, Hey, I'm thinking of you, or you're Mm -hmm. a great health advocate or whatever it is that I connect with that person with. I'll I'll give them a a shout out. Um, I also try to post pictures. Like when I meet somebody, especially in real life, I take a picture. I take a lot of pictures and Mm -hmm. I realize the value of pictures especially since I got sick. I didn't so much care before I got sick. Now I'm like, oh, I wish I had these pictures. I wish I had a picture of that. And I can post those pictures to to brighten their day. Say, hey, remember when we were at this event and this or that happened? And then I also like and reshare some of the projects and programs and things that they're working on and that they're interested in to show them that, hey, I'm paying attention to what you're doing and, you know, keeping that connection and friendship with them. You know, sometimes I don't have the energy to do a long phone call or write a long email, but a quick little message is something that can brighten somebody's day. And and so I, I like to do that. I have also, I used to quilt a lot. Um, I, I can't so much um, now, but um, I would, like if someone was having a baby, I would make them a, a baby quilt. And then their child has that baby quilt growing up and say, oh, you know, my Aunt Barbie, whether I'm their figurative aunt or real yeah. aunt, will have this quilt, you know, from, from me to know that I created something and they can carry it, carry Mm -hmm. it on in their life. So if you, you know, can, can do like, one of my friends is really good at writing handwritten notes. Mm -hmm. Mine are typically typed because my handwriting is so poor because my hands are poor, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, but giving that, even if it's just a few lines, giving that, Hey, hi, hello, that connection, it can keep you going. Even if you aren't physically able to keep the energy going to talk to mm-hmm. all the people you want to talk to all the time. Yeah. There Another are so thing- many different ways to just tell somebody, Hey, I see you. And yes. you know, you're important. What you're doing yep. matters. I care Here's- about you. I thought of you today. I prayed for you. Yes. Here's that little-, little thing can mean so much to them. Yes. There's a, there's a company I see you and they have a little bow with a candle in it. And um, I've, I've gotten some of those packages and given them out to people. I see you. I see you. Mm-hmm type of reminders. And, and I also, I am a spiritual person. And so I do pray for people and I add them to a prayer list that I pray on. Uh, and then I remember they're on my prayer list. So I remember to check back in and say, Hey, how's it going? What's mm-hmm. been updated in your life? You know, what, yeah. you know, it, did, mm-hmm. has this prayer come to fruition yet? Or mm-hmm. are we praying for something more or something different? So that's another way to check in. And, um, and so I, I really like that as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I, feel that way myself. I'm much more invested in people and their life stories and what's going on when I'm praying for them regularly. You know, I have a vested interest in, in how their life is going because, you know, I'm putting that effort into to seeking God on their behalf. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and just that he can be a shining light on them and put a, a cover mm-hmm. protection on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about your books and your latest book in particular. Sure. Well, my latest book is From Wheels to Heels. And it's actually spelled H-E-A-L-S and um, as in heal in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, although one of the first things I did after going into remission was get a pair of high heels because I hadn't been able to to wear (laughs) any shoe for so long. Um, So I do like to wear heels, although I wear them for very limited time. Mostly I wear flip-flops or nothing. But from wheels to heels is my journey going through the health system 
talking about how I created my team, the life hacks that, that I've come up with, not just the ones I've shared here, but but there's many other uh, life hacks that I use in my daily living to give myself more energy, or I say energy pennies uh, mm-hmm. to get through the day. And so I'm really proud of the book and it's, it's really a, a 20 year history of mm-hmm. going through the health system and how other people can avoid those pitfalls that occur in our health system and navigating them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Cause there are so many helpful and knowledgeable and great people in our healthcare system, but sometimes yeah. getting to them or getting to the right one is really more the challenge. They're each you- a tool and you have to figure yeah. out how to use that tool because they mm-hmm. are knowledgeable in what they're knowledgeable in. Mm-hmm. So we have to be able to, to be able to use those tools. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a lot of great doctors. I know even more, but I also have had the bad ones. And it was, mm-hmm. was it because I wasn't able to use them as a tool or they weren't willing to be a, a tool in my life. You know, it, it could have been either or both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But knowing how to use those tools now has really been beneficial. Yeah. So tell us a little about the pain foundation that you're the president sure. of. Yes. International Pain Foundation started in 2006. And it came about our family would do a family like service project each year. And we would come up with the project in November at Thanksgiving dinner. And um, in 2006, my stepsister passed away from the same condition that I have Mm. and from a complication. And that year, my brother's suggestion was kind of between my brother and my dad. But their suggestion was it took Barbie and Melanie so long to get the care that they needed and the help that they needed that there has to be other people out there that are having trouble doing this. So let's create a foundation that can help them. And so since 2006, that's been our family project, which has grown from this small little family foundation into an international foundation that has about a hundred thousand reach across the world. So we're in about 16 different countries and um, we have participants in our projects from, you know, all over the world and have actually started doing projects in other languages. And um, this past year, we actually worked with the government of Uganda and the patient support organization of Uganda with with their leader, Josephine, who volunteers for our foundation. And Mm -hmm. we actually got to do our November project in Uganda in person, even despite COVID. Wow. It was so inspirational. And Mm -hmm. um, I can't wait to be able to go and physically be there in person uh, one of the years, but mm-hmm. um, it's just been growing ever mm-hmm. since. And we do education, awareness, social events, and access to care, all created around chronic pain challenges mm-hmm. and issues. And we're not disease specific. So it doesn't matter if you're diagnosed or not. We mm-hmm. work with patients on all different levels, whether you're young, old, new mm-hmm. to the diagnosis or been living with it for 40 yeah. years. Yeah, that will be so helpful to so many. And just, you know, that you brought up the international aspect of it, which just reminds us once again, we're all human. We're all subject to all kinds of pains. And, uh, you know, just that you have that reach in such a short amount of time is really incredible. And we'll pray that God continues to bless that work. But Absolutely. thank you so much for sharing with us today. This has just been really rich. I know I've learned a lot. And please tell our audience where they can connect with you more if they want to find out more information about your books or the foundation. If you would like to know more inform- information about me or the books, you can go to barbieingle.com, B-A-R-B-Y-I-N-G-L-E. And if you want to learn about the foundation, you can go to internationalpain.org. 
Okay. Are there places on social media where you tend to hang out more than others? I hang out on Twitter more, but I am on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Okay. And I will put all those links in the show notes so that you can follow Barbie where you hang out most. Yes. <laughs> and uh, please, you know, especially if you or a loved one is, is struggling with some kind of chronic pain or illness like this, please reach out and get connected. I know she has tons of valuable resources that um, she'd be delighted to share with you and help you on your journey. So thank you for sharing with us. Thank you so much. It's so glad mm-hmm. to be here and thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. You have been listening to Resilient Life Hacks with Liz Myers. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by the guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. To learn more and download your free guide to Liz's top 20 Resilient Life Hacks, go to resilientlifehacks.com. Subscribe now so you never miss the life hacks you need to live the life you want.